Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of Death Space Filling the Void. Jamie, Ollie, and I are back here in Charleston, South Carolina after visiting some family up in New York, some friends. We did a beach weekend out in Montauk, which is a beach at the end of Long Island. Just incredible. Eating seafood, laying in the beach, seeing friends. Oh my gosh. It's amazing how much a little vacation can help you reset your thinking, get out of things that are stressing you, or get away from them for a little bit. And it also gives you the perspective to step outside of your processes with, you know, I'm working full time and, and working on two podcasts. Just trying to step outside of that process and make the podcast better and, and, and ways for me to juggle it, everything I want to do a little bit better. So yeah, just, just amazing. Not to mention how being vaccinated and now seeing people it's just so much less stressful. <laughs> oh my gosh. Throughout most of the, the pandemic, when you would see somebody in a backyard or... You know, you know, you're just nervous going to the grocery store or getting gas or doctor's visits. It's just, everything was a lot. You don't realize how high, at least my level of stress was over little things. Do I have the virus? Am I going to give it to somebody? Am I being selfish by seeing a friend in a backyard? It's just nice to remove that or, or vaccinate that anxiety away well yeah I, i'm feeling good i'm feeling rested and, and ready to get back to charleston and doing some fun stuff down here for today's episode we have my friend mike sauce mike is an incredibly hilarious comedian and actor he was doing a show called drunk shakespeare uh an off-broadway show which was hilarious i'm not sure if they're going back to it but now that the world's going back, back to normal. He's a huge Cincinnati sports fan. God bless him. <laughs> and he's an extremely talented improviser. We did a bunch of improv shows with him, including one show called Sauce and Jones that was arguably the most bizarre thing I've ever put on a stage. <laughs> You'll hear us talk about it. But uh, Mike lost his mother right around the time where college was ending for him and and he was going off on his own still a young man it's amazing how much that loss shaped his future of course not looking for his mother to die but that propelled him to taking different steps in his life a lot of people in this podcast have, have talked about how loss and grief has transformed them in many ways and Mike is an incredible example of that. Mike also hit me with an incredible quote that I wasn't expecting and I still think about. I don't want to spoil it because uh, you can pretty much hear me experience the quote in, in real time in the episode. Real quick before we get to the interview, if you're liking the show, please remember to rate and review it and to also check the show out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. And YouTube. I don't know why I say or. And. Let's get over to Mr. Michael Sauce. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Now joining me, I have actor Mike Sauce. We used to do two prov improv together under the name Sauce and Jones in, in probably one of the strangest shows I ever did in my improv career. Mike, thanks so much for coming on to talk to me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, ditto on the weirdest improv show. Um, <laughs> legit, the only improv show where I, I've woken up the next morning aching because of the wrestling that we did. Right. For, for people who don't know, there was quite a bit of wrestling. The premise of the show was like there was a wig that we both wanted to wear because it was a metaphor for success in like acting and, and showmanship. And that's how we would transition in and out of scenes. But it would devolve into just an all out wrestling match. Yeah. Really <laughs> just, seriously. We're here to talk about the loss of your mom. I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit about her. Yeah. My mom was... Uh, born in 59. She uh, was a nurse. Before she died, she was a 
certified occupational health nurse, uh, registered nurse at the Ford Motor Company truck transmission plant in Sharonville, Ohio, which is just outside of Cincinnati. And she had been with Ford for, uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly how long, but it was definitely like 10 years or something like that. And she, she had also been their union rep for the nurses for a few years. Does Ford employ a lot of nurses? Not a ton. I mean, there, there were maybe like six nurses, a couple per shift, but you know, when it's, you know, you're a factory plant. So, you know, you got guys coming in who just accidentally cut themselves or cut something off or right. she had a guy one night came in to the, the nurse's station and just collapsed of a heart attack. Oh um, my God. Yeah. Just, you can imagine like, I mean, it, it, it's definitely interesting. She, she had previously before that been like a, a nurse for different businesses or, or urgent care centers and stuff like that and hospitals. But she, once she fell in with Ford, it was like her, her main thing. That was her spot. Yeah. That sounds like a very interesting job. A, a lot of, a lot of nothing until there's certainly something, right? Like yeah. just a heaviness to it. Yeah. And she would work, usually she was working like second or third shift. I think she was mm-hmm. second shift normally. Cause like I would get home from school and then that's when she was leaving for work usually when I was in, in my teenage years. A lot of my personality and who I am comes from my mom. Um, mm-hmm. My mom, when she was growing up, did a little bit of drama club and stuff like that. So like performing gene is, is definitely from her being Cincinnati sports guy. Sure do. Literally yes. that all, <laughs> that, yeah. That all comes from my mom growing up. Like she's the one who taught me how to throw a baseball. She's the one who taught me how to keep score at a baseball game, which I can't go to a baseball game without keeping score. You're the program um, guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm get my scorecard out and, you know, make sure I have a pencil, not a pen. Um, I get real upset about double switches. Uh, but yeah, she, yeah. So she's, she was very foundational in terms of who I was. She, another thing she did, she was our boy scout, not boy scouts, but cub scout pack leader. So she was like in charge of the whole, Oh, fun. uh, Yeah. Whole pack for my, for the grade school cub scouts that I was a part of. Did that for two or three years, but yeah, she's very active mom before she passed a few years before she passed, she had herniated some discs in her back and mm-hmm. had to get different surgeries. And she was in constant just pain. She used to oh, like, that's awful. Uh, we, used, we used to always joke, like you could open up her bag and it was like a Walgreens inside of my mom's purse. Like mm-hmm. any drug she had, you know, before it was like a novel thing. She's like, she had prescriptions for Percocet, Oxycontin, like all yeah. the like drugs that like are now we know all about them. She was right at the beginning of that kind of stuff. Oh um, God. Yeah. Just because she was just in this like chronic pain. But yeah. She's just a very active, very involved mom. That's wonderful. Yeah. Back pain in particular just can be so debilitating. It's just, yeah. it just, you don't never know what's going to set it off. And, and you know, when it does, it is just, mm-hmm. it's just the worst. So I, I want to, how old were you when she passed away? Uh, I was 22. It was the fall after I graduated from college. Okay. Um, yeah, she was 50, mm-hmm. which for the the immediate time after she passed, like that was probably the thing I was most upset about because growing up, I had three of my four grandparents until I was like in into college. My dad's father passed away before I was even born. I never met him, but his mother lived until I was like 24. Both my grandparents lived until I was like 19, 20. And they were, they were all in their, if not 80, then like 78. My grandparents were pretty old. So like, I just, you know, you just growing up when you have grandparents that last for a while, you just kind of assume that your parents are going to last a while. And so that was probably the thing I was most upset about right at the beginning was just that the things that I was robbed of that I wasn't going to experience that I figured I would, you know, I figured my mom would be at my wedding, that she would meet, you know, the person that I marry, that she would, if I had kids, that she'd be, she always joked that she'd be just the grandmother from hell because of how we treated her as kids. (laughs) Um, Right. You're going to get one just like you. Exactly. And 
yeah and and that was the big thing because ironically like she kind of passed away similar in age in terms of my age was similar when my dad's father passed away so mm. i got to talk to my dad about that and she passed she away what's that how did she die so uh it this it was a pretty it was so in october of 2009 let's back up a little bit august 2009 my uncle her only brother passed away he died of a massive heart attack that august and they found him because he lived next door to my mom and his friend hadn't heard from him for a few days and we hadn't heard from him a few days and then they found out that he was he had passed away next door <sighs> um, and so after that she'd been very depressed and stuff like that but into september of 2000 of that year the next month she was starting to come out of that grief and feeling much better. She was talking about possibly going into teaching, going to get her master's in nursing to become a teacher or, or get her possibly like a nurse practitioner type of thing. But she was definitely talking about doing something else. Mm -hmm. um, and then in October, 2009, the next month, one day my brother came home uh, from doing something, my middle brother, Steve, and he came home and my mom was like crawling from her chair uh, to the bathroom. And so he called an ambulance because she could barely breathe. Um, she went to the hospital. Uh, they immediately put her in the ICU because she was very having severe trouble breathing. Uh, she was basically diagnosed with pneumonia, but they didn't know if it was viral or bacterial. So they were kind of treating for both. Mm -hmm. Um, and then while she was in the ICU, things just kept getting worse and worse. Uh, they had to try to, they kept trying to like uh, up her oxygen levels because that, that was the main thing was that her oxygen levels were going down. And they had her on a ventilator. They had her in this thing called a roto bed, which is just imagine a bed where you're just like strapped to it, but then the bed itself is suspended. And so you're, lying face down but the bed's behind you okay and and it like rotates back and forth to move the liquid that's in your lungs so that you can try to never heard of that oxygen okay yeah, it's it's i mean like the first time i saw it i it was it was a lot yeah um, and it, it's enough to see your parent to see anybody on a ventilator like ventilators are Terrifying. like just just hearing something breathing for somebody and seeing someone breathing and there it's not them it's all labored and it's just, uh, it it's the worst it's and, mechanical looking too yeah. in that, like, and, and you can not, hear it and it and like yeah. especially when like you've got pneumonia too where there's like all this like liquid in the lungs and you can hear the like gargling from the from the oh, the, the breath it's yeah. it's terrible and she just, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And basically within like a month of her getting into the uh, ICU, she was, she had passed away on uh, November 14th, uh, 2009. And they also talked about that she had possible, it was like during the swine flu thing too. So they didn't know if that also was playing a, a factor. It didn't help that she previously was a smoker. She had given it up like the year before, a couple of years before, but you know, it's hard to get all of that stuff out of your lungs after right. you know, 20, 30 years of smoking. Exactly. Cause she had like, there have been times where she would like quit for a few years and then come back and blah, blah. But it seems like there's like a little bit of like uncertainty, like a combination. It's like pneumonia, but also like could be swine flu and right. maybe she wasn't taking care of herself because she was not feeling herself. And yeah. Um, wow. That, that's, that's a lot of different things to, to take on. What was that month like when she was in, in the hospital? Well, it was tough because I, at the time was working for a company called Vector Marketing, which is, does uh, Cutco knives, if you've ever heard of them. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So I, at the time was a district manager. So I had sold Cutco in college and stuff. And then I became assistant manager and then worked my way up and I was running my own office. I was running the Lexington, Kentucky office right after I graduated. And mm -hmm. so running, running an office like that, there's really no time you're off. You know, I was putting in 80, 90 hour work weeks. Why is that? Just, just because, people... because it's, it's it, because anytime, because basically you're running your own business. Like yeah. there is a corporate structure above you. Like 
they're the ones who get you the sample kits for your recruits. They're the ones who handle the orders and ship the product to the customers. But in general, like you're the one who has to pay your office lease. You're the one who has to pay your receptionist. Like a franchise. Yeah. So like literally I'd get up, go to the, go to the office, be in there at 8 AM most days. And I wouldn't leave until like probably nine o'clock. Oh my God. Um, that's like Monday through Friday. And then like weekends was a little bit better, but like in general, you're still putting in. A t- and then you're also always available via your phone for representatives who just finished the appointment and they need to let you know what happened, if they sold anything, if they didn't sell anything. So you can keep track of that. So it was a lot. And so like that summer, I had done really well. Uh, we had a very successful office. I was very excited, feeling good about everything and then like once my uncle passed away went home for like a week and then this fall didn't start off that great and so that month of my mom being in the hospital like I was there for I would be up there for a few days like Cincinnati's only like 60 70 miles north of Lexington so I was definitely able to get back and forth yeah Um, but I wasn't able to fully spend x amount of nights in the hospital with her out the last thing i remember us doing together where she was at all cognizant is we watched the bengals play the bears and i think they won like 38 to 3 or something like that and it was it was funny because it was the first game that the 2009 season where the game didn't come down to like the last drive every game we had won before that was like oh my god are they gonna win and this one we just did not demolish them and so i joked with my mom before she like went to bed or whatever or fell asleep that they knew she was in the hospital and they wanted to go easy. yeah just the um, win that everybody yeah. needed yeah exactly and <laughs> uh that was the last time i saw her uh cognizant or conscious oh wow well, a lot of people put, you know, especially since when I've been, I've been talking to a lot of people about their final interactions with whomever, and I, I've been learning and, and kind of knew this before, that people put so much heaviness into a final interaction. It seems like that's kind of a sweet moment. Uh, it was. Um, yeah. I was. I was a little upset because later, you know, after she was in the ICU, like eventually it was like, we kind of had to make the call. There's X, Y, Z days of no activity and different things like that. And we basically had to make the call of like, are we going to try to keep her in this like coma thing forever? Or do we want to put her in hospice? And we eventually made the decision about hospice. And so the day that hospice called us in the morning to let us know that it was like time, we went over and we each had our own moment with my mom and that it's hearing the ventilator is, is scary, Mm -hmm. but hospice, God bless hospice workers. I don't know how they do it. It's, uh, it's, it's very interesting, but like when, when, when you're off the ventilator and now like she is breathing for herself because it's just, it's just her body's natural thing. Now you're all you're hearing is the rattle and the like just it's a sound that I frankly would never like to hear again. A ventilator is mechanical and all that kind of stuff, but it's like it doesn't sound like death. This was like it, it they say it's like, like making death its rattle. presence known, yeah. yeah. And it's and it's like you can hear it in the breathing, and it, you just kind of want you feel bad for feeling it but you're just kind of like just let it end and so we each of the brothers and my dad and my mom's friends or like close friends uh went into the hospice uh we each took some time just by ourselves with mom just to say goodbye and then it was clear it was still taking a while so we're all like super on edge but also like to take the a little bit of the, not take the edge off, but to just help cope and help normalize things. I, I volunteered to go get us some food. So I went to McDonald's and I took my brother, Tim. He was the youngest. He was 2009, He was 16 at the time. Oh, that's um, so young. Yeah. And so I took him out and we went and got McDonald's um, and came back. 
And when we came back, my uh, my mom's best friend Mona was like, "It it happened. She's gone." And I I was viscerally like angry that I wasn't there for like the last the you know the final moment. And then why do you she, think why do you think you were angry? I don't I don't know. I I, I think it was just the the idea of I was there with her at the beginning of my life and I was there at the end of hers. Um, but at the, but I quickly realized that it didn't really matter. Um, and my, uh, we call her aunt Lona cause she's like my mom, like her and my mom were inseparable since high school. Um, she, she kind of said that, uh, my mom went while we were gone because she want she she wanted the youngest Tim to be able to to not be there or something mm. like that. So that was a not cute but like, you know, kind of comforting like idea. Um and then and I got over it very quickly. I was I was like this is stupid to be angry about like my mom's dead. Like that's far more important the focus than you know right um but yeah 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 i can only imagine so what changes you know i'm lucky to still have both my parents what changes in a 22 year old who just lost his mother for me particularly it was a full sense of rudderlessness she was your guiding light and, and yeah for hundred percent because like I said before, like a lot of who I am is a direct byproduct of things that she taught with me and, and focused on with me mm. and that kind of bond. So once that was gone, it was everything fell to not fell to pieces. Like I wasn't homeless or I wasn't in a bad way, but I mean, for instance, like we talked about my business, I had to borrow tons of money from my boss to stay, to let the business stay afloat until summer because summer's when you make most of your money since we work with a lot of college students over the summer. Um, so it's just like, stay, stay afloat until the summer, stay afloat until the summer. And then summer came and we did half the business we did the summer before. I just wasn't happy. I just for a long for for a while after that it was just like every day was like something would remind me and then i would have to stop and like have a cry yeah let out the steam yeah and like i i i'd had like my grandparents died but it's like you know when someone's in their 70s like you expect it you kind of i feel like you kind of guard your heart for it you kind of prepare for it mm-hmm. but when it's somebody that you expect to have for another 20 years or another 30 years mm-hmm. um it does that number on you and so i was super not focused i didn't really care i tried to care about my business but i just lost all sort of motivation especially that next summer when shit's sort of the fan and so and what were people in your circle saying to you during during this time period? They were they were definitely helping me. I, mean, I had friends come down from Cincinnati to visit for a few weekends and and go out and take care of me. I had like one of my best friends. He and his family were very close to my family, so he he came down pretty frequently. And in general, I, I definitely was becoming closer to my dad because growing up. Like, like I said, I mean, I'm very much my mother's son. My father and I are pretty different, but not totally different. He's much more like, for lack of a better term, he's, he's, a comp- he's like a computer geek nerd. And that's just not who I am. But we kind of bonded over that. And we've, we definitely had a closer relationship because there wasn't that person that I would talk to as much. So we were definitely talking more. My brothers and I were leaning on each other more than we had before. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was definitely harder because I wasn't in the space of my family, but I was, I was definitely, not only were people coming down 
I was coming up. I was, I think for the first like few months, like I was going up to Cincinnati almost every weekend for yeah. the first few months. Cause like I would literally get done with training. Like it's a, the end of training for the new recruits is on a Saturday. And that usually ends around like two o'clock, three o'clock. Like the second that would get out, I would just hop on I-75 and go straight to Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, Cause I just didn't, I didn't have friends in Lexington for the first few years or for the first few months I was there. So I didn't have anybody like locally that I could really go to. So I, I was, uh, I was in Cincinnati. A lot. For the, just the gravity of, of going back to your family, like the pole is, yeah. is so even if you did have friends, like 60 yeah. miles is, is doable to, yeah. to get there. Are your Excel skills optimized for your current job? I read that there's a lot of people quitting their jobs. It feels like there's a lot of people that may have lost their jobs or used the pandemic shift as a chance to try something new. And I love that. Really rooting for people. Do you know the basics but would like to learn more? Because yeah, this is a transformative time. My mind keeps shifting back to this. That we can kind of make things different and better. Talk about the transformative nature of death and grief. Pandemic is, was a good reminder that life is, is limited and we should seek happiness. Do something that you're going to enjoy. You're going to get out of bed and, and not be bummed that you're, you got to go to work. And tools like my software tutor can definitely help with that. You know, maybe you're a skill or, or two away. My Software Tutor offers three levels of real-time Zoom-based courses with a live instructor. They all deliver practical, functional business skills in a friendly, supportive environment. I mean, how expensive is college? Just, you know, uh, instead of loading up in the courses that you don't need, this is just going to teach you exactly the program that you want and or, or you need. These courses will increase your marketability, whether you're an employee, job seeker, consultant, or contractor. I mean, just the, the nature of, of, of describing that you're going out there and learning the things that you need to learn, the programs, or, or just sharpening your skills is appealing to people looking to hire you. I mean, who wants to hire the person that's like, I learned everything 20 years ago and I refuse to learn anything else. I don't know why this character sounds like this. <laughs> well, you can register at mysoftwaretutor.com and use the promo code POD20 to save 20% off all registrations. Today's episode is also brought to you by The Cardist. A card delivers joy and connection, but it's hard to muster that positive energy in this pandemic. Yeah, that's right. Exactly what I was talking about with just the layer of anxiety that we've been dealing with just pushing us down just like walking around holding a boulder on each shoulder and so it's tough to create it's tough to uh, emote it's tough to build connection with people but that's what the cardist is here for introducing a writing specialist for the message inside your greeting cards the cardist studio creates your message writes it in the card and mails it for you we've all got boulders on our shoulders oh god i hate that it rhymes but, you know, it's nice to have the sentiment that you want to send someone something nice and you get a little help. Nothing wrong with that. All you do is pick the card and tell why you're sending it. No errands, no emotional exercise or real exercise. <laughs> For a message from your heart, but not your hands. Sit back and just enjoy your relationships. Thecardistudio.com Thoughtful just got easy. You, you had stopped caring about your business, and, and uh, obviously, you ended up moving to New York. So, yeah, I'm wondering what, what happened. So, at the end of that summer, we did less than half the business we had done the previous summer. Not only that, it was business that, like, we had like this one guy been selling Cutco since like the 80s his sales don't matter as much to my report as others say whatever but I, I I made not enough money but then that after that summer I literally saw an ad I don't remember where I don't know if it was Facebook or I don't remember where but 
I saw there was an improv troupe in Lexington. And I was like, oh, I really like doing improv at, at Xavier. That was fun. And so I went out and did improv and like I auditioned for them and I got into that. And oh, nice. that got me, that gave me this like outlet to like. It lit a fire in you. Yeah, uh, because like the, the whole time with Cutco, the main part of the job is running interviews in like a group setting to get new representatives or whatever. And the one part of the job that I liked more than any part was the training because I could be more of myself and I could perform more. Like there was like yeah. literally like, you know, one part of the, the training where like you learn how to call people to set up your first appointments. I would... Mm-hmm. I would do in different voices because like I have always <laughs> done impressions. Why not? So, like, I would, I would do Christopher Walken calling somebody to get a cut coat. Do you still have that? Do you have that in you? Oh, of course. You don't have to. No, I mean, listen, Mrs. Jones, a lot of people, <laughs> you know, I mean, Amazing. I, I do, I do impressions now. I've been paid to do impressions. So that's no, yeah. not bad, but no, um, that's, that's great. Yeah. So like, that was like my one tiny, the tiniest outlet I had, to the things that like tied me to my mom and the tied me to performance and stuff like that. So I was like, once I found improv, I was like, oh fuck, that's right. This is the thing that actually makes me enjoy life. And so I was doing shows with them, and then I met like a lady through their through their troupe who does did like murder mystery dinner theater. So I did a few shows with her and that fall things were meh, but then like that spring stuff had started to kick back up and I was like hitting different bonus levels and stuff like that. And I was like, all right, if I'm going to leave, because I was like, I was starting to eye leaving it because I was still not making good money. I was still, I was pay, I was now paying off the debts that I had accrued before that. Uh, and so then and improv's yeah. going well at this point. If, yeah, it was going well. Like, I, I literally, like, I mean, it's not like it was paying a bunch, but hey, it, it paid more than most of my gigs in New York City. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, improv uh, and like, a lot of money? No, I don't I know. Literally, like, I, I, we, we had our first show at this bar in downtown Lexington, mm-hmm. and, like, my dad and brothers came, and, like, we had, like, I don't know, like 20 to 30 people in the audience. And at the end of the night, the main guy who runs the team comes up to me with an em- envelope and it goes here's your cut i go what what now we get paid for this <laughs> he's like yeah we, we we charge money for people to watch the show in the area and we get a cut of the bar s- proceeds or whatever that's and great so it's like it was like 18 bucks or something hey. um and i was like oh shit i was like yeah. i'm a professional improviser <laughs> um and then i went to new york and became a uh, amateur uh <laughs> even though i've got more experience in new york um right. but so like that that like excited me again and i that spring when things were starting to go well again and i basically could have like stayed with it and probably things would go a little bit better but i was like what if i just take this like bonus money and like that's my like exit out so i can like leave on a good note Mm -hmm. and um i had friends um like my best friend from college uh he was still living in cincinnati and he and his current roommate who was another guy that we had done theater with in college him and uh that guy's boyfriend they were planning on moving to new york and because he was going to go to acting school and the other one's a nurse so he can get a job anywhere right um and so they're like, we're going to go to New York. Would you like, and, and he, he just kind of put a flyer out there of like, you should come. And I was like, fuck yeah. And I decided that I was done with Cutco and that I would just move to the city with these three other guys. And that's what got me here. And so like, it's interesting to me when I think back on it, because on the one hand, it's, absolutely sucks that my mom died it to this day it's still something that i would say is is a it's purely it still defines me to this day it's not that like it's the only thing that defines me but like but in what way does it define you i think that it just defines me as like i know that i need that how i carry myself like i know that i'm supposed that you know you know growing up that you're supposed to be 
a good representation of your parents and your upbringing. But I think that by doing work in New York and by focusing on, on performance and focusing on the, the biggest things that she encouraged me on, that's kind of my way of keeping her memory alive. Because like, if I make a joke, like if I'm doing an improv or I'm doing an improv show or, or I'm doing drunk Shakespeare and I make like a very like, or, or I'm with my friends and I make a very specific dark joke. I know that like that like sense of humor um, and a lot of my sense of humor, regardless of dark humor or not, all comes from her. And mm-hmm. so when people, when, when people laugh at me being a fool, there's this extra little thing for me. It's like, it's kind of just, just, I, I am doing that as a homage to her memory and that's wonderful. Who yeah. she was. Yeah. Wow. Um, and you were saying it's obviously, unfortunately, your mom passed away. Right. But in a sense, I'm trying but to help it, you pick up. But uh, oddly, without it, I don't know if I am performing. Mm, wow. I don't know if I would have taken that line. If it doesn't happen, who's to say that things with cut code don't go better you know i know it's not a lot i mean most of the people that i started with as a manager are out of the company but there's a handful of people that keep continuing or continue for a number of years or you know who says like that would have went well and then you know maybe i go to some other company where i do sales or exec or like product training or any any sort of like thing that isn't performing i don't know I don't know if that, if I'd be here in New York right now, like literally sitting, like there's times when I'm like cooking dinner in, <laughs> I'm cooking like my girlfriend's vegetarian. I'm like, I'm, I, a couple of times during quarantine, I've been cooking a meal that I've never made before that is fully vegetarian. And then I'll have this like little moment of I'm in New York cooking a vegetarian meal for my vegetarian girlfriend. If you would have told me that when I was 18, I would have been like, you're out of your mind. Like <laughs> one, I'd been to New York once and I hated it when I came here. Oh, no. And it was mostly because I was only in Times Square. And right. Like, it's the right. worst place. On That's Earth. most people that only come here experience yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, and like growing up, I always like, vegetarians are so pretentious and all this stuff. Like <laughs> and now like half my diet is, is a vegetarian diet. So oh, nice. it's, it's just, it's ironic to me in the extreme that for my life to be where it is now, that it, a big catalyst in that is the death of somebody close to me. It's so heavy to, to think that it's almost like, and, and this is completely from an outside perspective, it's almost like you had this like well-preserved sense of self and like a part is broken and like right. that's caused this journey to, to put the performing part back to you. Wow. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's incredible. That really is. Well, you're, and you're obviously so like talented and, and funny. And so it's definitely good that you're, here and, and wound up here so things things are looking up for for mike sauce i want to get into a little bit about spirituality and and what you think about spirituality where where we go when we die really anything there, there's really no wrong answer to jump into that so i'm curious to hear your thoughts well i grew up my family were barely christmas easter catholics if we got to mass on like we used to like pretty much only be Christmas Easter Catholics. And then yeah. at some point there was one year, I think where we went to Christmas mass and we went to the normal time that mass was, but then we found out once we got there for mass that the parking lot was full mm. and we were like, Oh, but we're 15 minutes early and we get in and I see my sixth grade teacher come back with all of the Eucharist that had was left over or whatever. And like, as we're walking in and she's like, she like looks at me and I was like, Oh no apparently mass had started like an hour before that oh. because, because to like get rid of East Christmas, Easter Catholics, they didn't publicize that there was a change of the mass time. <laughs> you had to go, you had to go to mass like two weeks before Christmas. Oh my God. Know. So I felt I was mortified because Mrs. Murtaugh saw us come in <laughs> and I went to a, and I went to the Catholic grade school too. So it was like, I knew I'd just get these like evil eyes. 
but so like that's definitely a uh, just in the back of my mind a lot is the catholic tradition and stuff like that i i think i believe there's some sort of higher power i occasionally pray to it i'm more likely to have a conversation with my mom than i am god occasionally if if um, i'm having struggles or if i just am feeling really good or i want to because that's you're still sharing your life with her yeah right after your parents die the thing that just guaranteed like i mean i tear up just thinking about it is the first few times when something happens doesn't matter whether it's a good thing in your life or like some some achievement or you just saw something funny on tv or a video on twitter or the the tight end for the Bengals just tore his acl like <laughs> There's those little things that like the, your first instinct is, oh my gosh, I got to tell mom about that. Yeah. And you like reach for your phone and you have to be like, you stupid, your mom can't answer a phone. And then that just triggers just this instant grief and waterworks and all that stuff. Yeah. And why I, I, I think I do it semi-frequently just to have that, that dialogue. We used to joke at our, our, our grandmother on my mom's side, her and her husband or my grandfather had a pool in their backyard, uh, in ground pool. And we mm-hmm. would go there during the summer when we were kids almost every day to swim. And yeah, that sounds amazing. When, oh, it was so great. And so <laughs> when my grandmother passed away, there were always like dragonflies coming by the pool a lot. And so when my grandmother passed away, when we would see a dragonfly, my mom would say, oh, that's grandma. And then when grandpa passed away, suddenly we would start to see two dragonflies together. And it was like, okay, like, and then my grandfather or then my uncle passed away and we'd see three. And it was like, it was just like these weird, it's probably completely coincidental. Those little, that little thing. And then like literally one day we were at the pool, like after my mama died and we saw four dragonflies Mm -hmm. and like that to me, like, I was just like, that's, it's like, there's never four of them here. That seems Um, like a lot of dragonflies. Yeah. yeah. And so like, (laughs) it's interesting. Like when I see a dragonfly now, I just assume it's silly and, and, and not dumb, but it's just silly. But I, I just, I just call that dragonfly mom. Tria and I, my girlfriend, we were in new Orleans for a vacation for a week last year. And we took like one of those like swamp rides to go see alligators. Oh, fun. There was a dragonfly that while we were on the boat, like going down the, through the bayou or whatever, this dragonfly comes and sits like right next to me and my girlfriend on the side of the boat. And then it just goes, it just sits there for the next like five minutes. And so like Mm. I showed it to my girlfriend, I was like, Oh, there's mom. And that's like a little like silly thing that we do. I, I like to think that reincarnation is a thing just because I, I don't like thinking that this is the only thing, but even though I probably feel like it is the only thing that we get, but I think the most comforting things to me are reincarnation and somehow there is something there still listening or still seeing and still taking account of the things that we want to have shared with them. Yeah. I think it's very important to allow those comforts of seeing a dragonfly and, and seeing, you know, your mom in that life can be so hard and, and whether there is nothing after this or not, any comforts that we can allow ourselves, I think are, are, are very important. Yeah, so sure. thank you so much for opening up and, and having this conversation with me and, and yeah, I wish you the best. I, I look forward to seeing you on, uh, on TV a little bit more often. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> There's one more, one more thing I'd like to say about grief. Sure. So I didn't find this. This is actually something I'm totally stealing this from somebody posting it on Reddit, but at the beginning of it, it's just overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and, but like, obviously like as time goes by, it gets like better, but like, heck literally like, and now it's gotten to the point where I don't, in the beginning, it's like, you can see it coming because once you've had the first few, like, relapses of oh my god this happened you start to see where the triggers are going to come from right so like 
So like I'd be like watching a Grey's Anatomy episode. I'm like, oh fuck, they're gonna kill this mom, and they kill the mom, mm-hmm. and I know I'm just a waterworks. But now like, and so it was like, oh, I would cry, you know, once a week, and then it was I would cry once a month, and then once every few few times a year, and now it's like here and there, and it's funny when it comes up because like sometimes like it'll come times I know it's gonna come. It's like oh, I'm watching Field of Dreams for the eighth time. <laughs> yeah. The second he says, "Dad, you want to have a catch?" Like right, oh, that- done. Yeah. Just done. But like literally I've been watching the Sopranos for the first time during quarantine. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so Tony's spoiler alert, uh, season six, Tony's in the hospital and he's on a ventilator and the, like I could hear it. And like, I'm watching it by myself last night in the dark. And like, I was like, Oh shit. And then like that sound, that sound. And then I just had this, like I had to like pause it and like have like a nice, like, 30 second cry just like because mm. it just comes but there's this thing that i sometimes i send to a friend because like whenever i have somebody close to me or or is in a circle of mine that has lost somebody like a parent or in in that kind of circle because like when when somebody dies like the first thing everybody says is if there's anything i can do which is a nice sentiment but for some some of these things like this, it's like it's truly something you're not gonna understand until you go through it. Like yeah. there's really there's really nothing to prepare you for for the loss of a parent or you know particularly God God forbid if you're a parent who loses their child like I can't mm-hmm. like that just like anytime I see anything where like a parent loses their child it just uh, kills me. Yeah. But at, it, this was like years after my mom had passed. I was reading Reddit one day and somebody was talking about grief and they were like, there was this post that described grief. And like, I read it and like every time somebody goes through something, I kind of just clip it and I'm, I let them know like, Hey, this is what it's going to be like. And so it's this, this guy, old guy, I don't know what he was, but is this is what he says on grief. It's a Reddit post by Gary Sully, 1986 or something or maybe it was originally by G snow on Reddit. I don't know. Reddit is obviously a terrible place a lot of the time, but Mm -hmm. there is some, they do have some gems from time to time, but the thread was just, my friend just died. I don't know what to do. And this guy says, all right, here goes. I'm old. What that means is I've survived so far. A lot of people I've known and loved have gone. Uh, I've lost friends, best friends. I wish you could say that you get used to people dying. I never did. I don't want to. It tears a hole through me whenever somebody I love dies, no matter the circumstances, but I don't want it to not matter. I don't want it to be something that just passes. My scars are a testament to the love and relationship that I had with, I've had for and with that person. If the scar is deep, so is the love, so be it. Scars are a testament to a life. Uh, as for grief, this is the thing that, that really stuck with me. As, as for grief, you'll find it comes in waves. When the ship is first wrecked, you're drowning with wreckage all around you. Everything floating around you reminds you the beauty and magnificence of the ship that was and is no more. And all you can do is float. You find some piece of the wreckage and you hang on for a while. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a happy memory or a photograph. Maybe it's someone who is also floating. For a while, all you can do is float. Stay alive. In the beginning, the waves are 100 feet tall and they crash over you without mercy. They come 10 seconds apart and you don't even give, get time to catch your breath. All you can do is hang on and float. After a while, maybe weeks, maybe months, you'll find that the waves are still 100 feet tall, but they come further apart. When they come, they still crash over you and wipe you out. But in between, you can breathe. You can function. You never know what's going to trigger the grief. It might be a song, a picture, a street intersection, the smell of a cup of coffee. It can be just about anything, and the waves come crashing. But in between waves, there is life. Somewhere down the line, and it's different for everybody, you find that the waves are only 80 feet tall or 50 feet tall. And while they still come, they come further apart. You can see them coming. An anniversary, birthday, Christmas, landing in an airport. You can see it coming for the most part and prepare yourself. And then it washes over you. You know that you will again come out the other side, soaking wet, sputtering, still hanging, hanging on to some tiny piece of the wreckage, but you'll come out. Take it from an old guy. The waves never stop coming. And somehow you don't really want them to. 
but you'll learn that you survive them and other waves will come and you'll survive them too. If you're lucky, you'll have lots of scars and lots of loves and lots of shipwrecks. Wow. That's very beautiful. I know. I, it, every, every, like anytime somebody like loses somebody close, like that's like the first thing I think of as what it's like to deal with that. That might be the best description and, and, and sort of game plan or, or blueprint mm-hmm. for how it describes grief, how to handle it and, and why you may even miss it. Yeah. Because, you know, you're, you're never fully letting go of someone if you're experiencing grief and, and remembering them. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. That is, uh, it's very moving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man, I'm going to sit with that for a minute. Oof. Well, thank you again so much for, yeah, man, for everything, for all this. And, uh, uh, man, were, were you just on TV there for uh, not the, I, I was just on a MTV prank show. Did you prank somebody? Uh, yeah, I was part of the plant, you know, like when Dak Shepard was on punk and he was like the guy who like helped set up the, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I, I hope, you know, uh, you're hanging in there with the quarantine and enjoying the Sopranos and, uh, let's talk soon. Yeah, man. Good to talk to you. It's so beautifully written and and so spot on and true. It'll space out, uh, you know, the waves of grief, but you're never leaving the beach, so to speak, right? You're the waves are gonna keep coming, and sometimes you may have your back turned and not realize it, and it it could hurt, just just like turning your back on the ocean and getting smacked down by a wave. Thank you so much to Michael Sauce, and and thank you for that quote and, and for being so open. We're going to be, uh, I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more of Mike on, on TV. And for everyone listening, I, I want to mention my other podcast, That Gives Me Anxiety. You can check that out. Uh, the second season is going to come out once season two of Death Space Filling the Void finishes up. I'm excited for that second season and sad that Death Space is finishing season two. You know, I recorded all of these episodes during the pandemic, most of them in in Brooklyn, in the one bedroom that Jamie and I were living in. And so there's a lot of emotion tied to it. So yeah, uh, give That Gives Me Anxiety a check or, or, or check it out. I'd also be curious to hear if you guys have any quotes that have helped you. you know, sometimes it, quotes can be a little bit cheesy, but other times it can be incredibly powerful. So I, I'd love to see quotes that have helped you in, in times of need. And then hopefully we can share them and, and help each other out. Well, thank you so much for listening. As always, have a great week. And I'll talk to you next Thursday. Thursday.